0: Welcome to the Tally Room Podcast. I'm Ben Rowey. This is a special episode to discuss the Tasmanian Council elections, in particular the race for Hobart City Council. I'm joined by fellow Cephologist and Tasmanian Election Specialist, Kevin Bonham. Hello, Kevin. Hello. Most of the counting has now concluded, but we're still waiting for a final result for the election of councillors for Hobart City Council. In this episode, we'll be discussing the political results of the election, as well as issues around how Tasmanian Council elections are run. So Tasmania is divided into 29 local government areas and each council has an election once every four years. They have no wards in Tasmania. So that means all councillors are elected to represent the whole council using proportional representation. Each council's mayor and deputy mayor is elected by the voters for a separate four year term. We're going to turn our focus primarily and first to Hobart, where former Greens candidate Anna Reynolds easily won the Lord Mayoralty, and Greens deputy Lord Mayor Helen Burnett won re-election as her deputy. Kevin, do we have a sense of how the political makeup of the Hobart City Council has been shifted by this election?
1: Well, we've we've got a shift in the uh, in the leadership position with uh, left-wing candidates taking both the uh, the leadership positions, which is not the first time that this has happened, but. Um, we're just we're still waiting for the final button press as I speak to see what the exact lineup of the rest of the council is, um, but it's probably not going to change greatly in terms of the the balance between the uh, the the greener candidates and the the, the uh, councillors who I call the the blues who are typically the the, pro, the more pro development um councillors sometimes aligned to the liberal party but not necessarily
0: well it's a um i mean hobart's quite a progressive council area in terms of its state and federal politics right like andrew wilkie does very well there and in in the absence of andrew wilkie uh it's always been an area that's favored labor and the greens so uh is there a bit of an element where the the people who are the kind of conservatives at a council level have maybe have a slightly different political um bent to who would be a like leading the Conservatives at a state or a federal level?
1: You do get some people on Hobart Council, um, an example being, being Jeff Frisco, who's going to be re-elected, uh, who are sort of generally, generally pro-development and generally not voting with the Greens, but, but take a Green position on certain issues like the Kenyanyu uh, Mount Wellington cable car proposal, so you do get some of that sort of thing, and you, you don't get a very strong um, sort of factionalism between the uh the different uh councillors who I call the blues, some of them are quite uh moderate and uh uh vote with the with the green side a fair bit there's not we't don't, we don't sort of have uh block parties even the even the green councillors don 't always uh, vote together. At all times so
0: we don't have the final result for the council account yet and uh, we're recording this on Saturday afternoon so we may well be getting that result on, on Sunday morning so it may have come out by the time that uh, people are listening to this podcast but do you have a sense of um, like whether there has been a shift kind of away from the blues and towards the greens at the council level
1: there has been in terms of the the overall primary votes but it's it's not that clear yet that the that the balance of council which was slightly in favor of the blues is is going to change we need to need to wait for the the final numbers but on the provisional uh, count at 50 percent it looked like it was basically about the same balance as before but possibly with a bit more uh a bit more polarization than before sort of uh, more more hard-line candidates in in either direction
0: one of the big issues that we saw in this election and just seems to have dominated uh Politics in Hobart, at least at the local level, was the proposed cable car to Mount Wellington, uh, which I understand has been quite controversial, and there's been a strong opposition to it. Uh, am I right to think that the uh, recently the Hobart City Council um, voted to prevent the cable car company from using any of the council's land
1: um, to build the cable car? Is that right? Yeah the um, the, the the cable car proponent wanted to a two kilometre road through an area of uh, public of council land on the foot of the mount, foothills of the mountain uh, and they wanted to do a survey of that area to look for threatened species and so on and uh, hopefully, say, hopefully establish that they could build there without too many consequences um, but the council responded by uh, passing a motion saying uh, no we won't give you uh, access to uh, any land on the, on the uh, foothills of the mountain at all. Uh, there's now a legal opinion flying around saying that the uh, that the developer um, doesn't need council permission to do the survey and, um, and put in a development application that council then has to consider. But there's there's still the problem of whether the council would give consent for the thing uh, down the track. And this has been an issue in council elections before various versions of this cable car proposal, but never on the scale that we've seen this time with just... Constant coverage of this issue for for years and uh, very large community mobilisation against it. Uh, in my own suburb of South Hobart, which is sort of close to the mountain and likely to be impacted by traffic movements, there's massive opposition. There are signs against the thing on uh, numerous houses. Sort of like in some areas, it's like almost every uh, almost every house has a sign against the thing. Um, so. It seems to have been the major cause of uh, turnout in Hobart jumping to a uh, record level and exceeding the state average for the first time ever.
0: So you said that uh, Hobart had a higher turnout than than other parts of the state. Was there an overall increase in turnout too, or was it just in Hobart?
1: There was an overall slight increase in turnout. It was up. It was up a, a few points. Turnout is measured by uh, the, uh, the 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 number of uh, Envelopes that are returned to the post, and it was it came out in the uh, the high 50s, uh, which is close to record level. It fell less than one percent uh, short of the record. That can include votes that are uh, disallowed for uh, various reasons, like not signing the envelope or not uh, putting the flap on the back of the envelope, and things like that.
0: Uh, Anna Reynolds, who um, is a former Greens candidate but I believe was not endorsed by the Greens. In fact, there was an endorsed Greens candidate for the Lord Mayoral race who who came third. She uh, came first on the primary vote and won a reasonably comfortable uh, majority. I believe it was 62% of the two candidate preferred vote against the sort of centre-right opponent, Damon Thomas, who is a former Lord Mayor himself. One of the things I was wondering about is, so so she was a former Greens candidate, as well as that two Greens councillors have been re-elected to the council. And in addition, we saw Holly uh, Ewan, um, who was a Greens candidate until about a week before the, before the end of the campaign and uh, quit quit the party then. And uh, looks like she might have a chance of getting elected. It's sort of, she's one of those candidates that's touch and go. Is, is there something like systemic or broader than just one individual about what's going on with the Tassie Greens in Hobart that they kind of have had these people leave the party and sort of have
1: success elsewhere? Well, there are a couple of separate issues here. In the case of Reynolds, I understand that the that the Greens decided to uh, to endorse uh, Bill Harvey for, as a candidate for Lord Mayor instead of Reynolds and that uh, Reynolds naturally wasn't happy with that. She wanted to be endorsed as a candidate. So I haven't had that. Confirmed, but that's what i have heard to be the case uh so she said right i'm leaving and running as an independent and and cited um, um dissatisfaction with uh the fact that the greens didn't basically work together as a team they didn't caucus um so that was a i think that was more of a a personal ambition situation because the greens had so many councillors. they had they had uh Three real three recontesting councillors, and they can't all run for Lord Mayor because that's silly. Um, so I think that's where that that uh, that came from. And uh, Reynolds sort of uh, may have felt that since she'd actually taken Harvey's seat from him at the previous elections, she might have had a better case to be the candidate. Um, so she quit, and that was a um, a very good career move. Uh, Ewan is a, a, a more political case. Uh, there there have been there, was issue, there were issues with a uh, Chinese candidate uh, in the election who uh, was thought to be uh, getting large numbers of votes of international students through the general manager's role. And this is against the backdrop of some very uh, strident criticism of uh, Chinese interests in Tasmania by the Greens leader, uh, Cassie O'Connor, the state Greens leader. Uh, Ewan came out and basically uh, said that O'Connor's comments were racist, basically, she didn't mince her words at all. And then there was further clashes and Ewan actually quit the party about a week from the end of the election, although she'd been endorsed as a candidate, uh, and described it as like a bad relationship breakup. So this is a sort of a tension between the way the more established Greens want to do politics, and a sort of a younger, I think a younger identity politics-driven model that is not satisfied with what some of the more established Greens are saying about China.
0: Do you have any sense of uh, the political makeup of any of the other kind of big urban councils like Launceston or Clarence
1: about what happened in those at the at the election? Launceston and Clarence both saw their incumbent mayors uh, re-elected, rather closely in the case of Launceston. I think the Launceston council is going to be pretty closely balanced because the, uh, the the left actually got seems to have got a pretty decent result in Launceston, Although I'm not familiar with the orientations of all the candidates, there was a there's been a bit of a freak situation where uh, the Greens' backup candidate has managed to uh, defeat the Greens' lead candidate, which is a bit strange, but a result of competition between various. Candidates there. Clarence, I don't think it's had big changes in makeups. So I think the Greens have dropped one there. Uh, but I haven't, haven't checked that closely. So,
0: Kevin, in addition to talking about who won in this election, you've been focusing on some of the problems with the voting system. So before we get into it, I just wanted to let listeners know about how the system works in Tasmania. So they elect all of their councils in Tasmania once every four years with no wards. but until 2014, they used to have staggered elections every two years, so you would have half the council elected every two years for a four-year term. Uh, voting is voluntary in Tasmania for local government elections and it's conducted entirely by posts. Uh, Kevin, you pointed out that the informal rate for Hobart and the other large councils was very high. Why do you think that is?
1: Yes, the, the informal rate for Hobart was 7.5% last time and it's currently tracking in excess of 9% this time. And this is a result of... Uh, the lack of savings provisions and voters being required to number a large number of boxes. So you're know, required to number up to the minimum number, up the, the minimum number you're required to number is the, the number of uh, candidates to be elected. And in Hobart's case, this is 12. So the voter has to number one to 12. They can't omit any number between one and 12, or they can't double any number between one and 12. Um, and a lot of them are trying to uh, um, you know, they're, they're trying to vote all the way through for 36 candidates and often starting at the end or starting at, starting at both ends, um, ending up getting confused in the middle. Um, voters are finding it very difficult and a, a large number of votes are getting uh, ruled out uh, because of unintentional mistakes, uh, um, unintentional doubling, unintentional emissions in the first 12. So it's particularly a problem in the in the bigger councils more than the smaller councils. But the the smaller councils have had an increase in the informal vote rate since the uh, since the increased number of councillors being elected at the same time as well.
0: Well, I guess when the system was designed, to take Hobart as an example, you would have only needed to number six boxes, and now it's twelve. So that 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 has been a big change, and it seems like uh, that wasn't really well thought through when that change happened to the uh, election
1: timing that's right and I I warned about it at the time I said I said you know in submission in 2012 I said if you make this change without making changes to uh to to savings provisions or without reducing the number of boxes required then what you're going to get is a is informal rates going through the roof and I, I even said, you know, it might be better to if you're, going, if you're going to insist on doing this, it might even be better to split each council into two uh, into two districts uh, to stop this problem from being a problem. Um, but this was this was ignored. We had problems at the 2014 election. The Liberal government was quite new at that stage, only been in for six months, and I uh, had plenty of time to uh, fix it. We saw it happen again in the Glenorchy separate election earlier this year, but uh, it hasn't been fixed. They're now doing a review where they say that the, the, all aspects of the, the system are going to be looked at, but I, I really think this needs to be fixed this time. Uh,
0: I guess one way to fix it could be to go to what we have for Senate elections where you, you tell people they should number 12 boxes, but, uh, you know, you accept six or you maybe even accept one so that, you know, votes votes count formally. Um do you think? Do you think that uh, there's also a problem in Tasmania, that particularly in Hobart, that the number of candidates is quite large now, that the the bar for candidates to run is very low?
1: Yeah, there's actually no bar for candidates to run. the the only The only bar for candidates to run is that uh, you need uh, uh, two signatures, and um, each extra candidate, as well as uh, adding. Uh, uh, thousands of of keystrokes of effort for the people doing the data entry on the ballot. Tens of thousands of keystrokes, probably. Also, um, I've done some regressions, and I find the D text candidate increases the informal vote rate by about zero point one percent.
0: Well, we saw that in uh, Senate elections as well. that below the line voting, the informal rate for um, Senate elections inc- uh, was quite significantly higher for the states that had more candidates running.
1: Yes, it's, it's a it's a common it's a common problem. Though. Basically, the more candidates you have. The, the more chances anybody who's trying to number from one to to the maximum number, which in Hobart's case is thirty six, uh, is going to uh, find some way to uh, stuff it up or repeat a number, or you know it, it can be even as simple as uh, the voter not noticing that that their their pen hasn't made a mark on the paper or something like that. Um, there are all kinds of ways it can voters can be just just absent minded, and a lot of voters just have bad number skills or they're not numbering in their their first language kind of thing um so we get so this is a i mean it's a real problem that you have thousands of votes informal in elections where last time in hobart there was one seat decided by 3.6 votes so it's got to be solved
0: i've seen a lot of discussion about the voluntary voting system that's used for uh, elections in Tasmania for councils, uh, but I'm also interested in the, the the way, and I don't have a strong opinion particularly on local councils using compulsory voting. But I, I found it also very interesting about how all elections are con- conducted by post, and uh, you know I'm I'm not a big fan of that, not only because it makes it impossible to do election maps showing sub areas within within councils, um, which, if anyone's wondering, is the reason why I do guides to councils in Sydney and don't do them to. Councils in Melbourne or Hobart. Do you think the postal voting system has an impact on the way the elections are run? And do you think it's, do you think it would be better to to have a kind of an attendance voting system like you see for state and federal
1: elections? For um, for, for voluntary voting, uh, there was very strong evidence that that when we switched from booth voting to postal voting, um, turnouts increased massively by postal voting they're more than more than doubled and it has more or less stayed at the original level too there hasn't been a there hasn't been a declining trend over time as the uh as the novelty has worn off and it even seems that with the switch to all in all out that may be increasing the turnout because people realize they only have one chance every uh four years. So it, on the assumption that, that we're going to continue with, uh, um, with voluntary voting, I would say that there is an, an overwhelming case for, for postal in terms of it being superior in turnout terms.
0: And I guess that is something we've seen in places like in the United States, where some states now do all their elections by post. And uh, in that system, it, it can work quite well, particularly for like lower profile elections like this. And I think probably a turnout that's over 50% for a local government election that's voluntary sounds pretty good to me. Like I wouldn't expect turnout to be as high for those elections as you would for state and federal. So, so that's, I mean, that's pretty encouraging, you know, it's not like these elections are being conducted with a, a small minority of the community voting, like it's still a large chunk of people who are getting out and casting a vote.
1: I think it works better in Tasmania than in other states that have it because, Uh, The small size of the councils, the the, the large number of councillors per head of population, we have 29 councils for a population of a little over half a million, so um, that greatly increases the chance that people know the candidates or know something about the candidates and also feel that their vote is important and uh, in the the very small councils, like say King Island and Flinders Island councils, uh, almost everybody votes.
0: Okay, so last thing, and this is this is very wonky in terms of those of us who are very interested in these, will, will find this interesting, but maybe maybe others not so much. But I found it really fascinating that the election counts publish a distribution of preferences at twenty percent of the count and fifty percent of the count. So, if people are not familiar with this. There is the primary vote counts that we all see as updates come in in elections, but normally at a federal Senate election or say for New South Wales Upper House election. You don't. You have to kind of speculate how the preferences will flow right up until the end of the count when they press a button and you see it all happen in front of you, which is very different to like the system we have for the lower house, where you get a two-candidate preferred count. And I knew that. So, so what we get in Tasmania instead is I uh, they kind of count a prov- they they press a provisional button at the twenty percent point and the fifty percent point and say if there was no more votes, this is how the count would go. Uh, which is quite interesting. And I, and I was familiar previously that the ACT uses a system like this where they do like at the end of each day they press the button and they tell you where they're up to at that point. And it actually came up in the discussions recently in the New South Wales Parliament around um, around the uh, system for New South Wales local government elections because there was a sense that it's quite hard to scrutinise proportional representation elections when they're conducted by computer and that by having... A, a kind of tri- a, by having an interim count like this, it can make it easier to to see what's going on and then you know address a count before you get to the very end of the process instead of discovering that a particular round was very close only at the very end. So Kevin, is this a, is this a new thing that they're doing and how do you think it, uh, do you think it works well?
1: This came in in the uh, 2014 uh, election, which was the first all in all out one and uh, at that one it was a it was done in just uh, I think 10 councils this election that's expanded to almost every council there were still four of them that were done the old way by uh, uh, hand counting of primaries and then manual preference distribution over a few days. Um, this system is I, I actually worked on the uh, the testing of this system and this system is more it is more accurate than hand counting uh, on the whole, it's slightly slower uh, in terms of getting to the, the end point, but it does quite quickly get to a point where the, the 20% counts come out on, uh, on election night in most cases. So uh, on, on the night, you have a pretty fair idea of, of who are the candidates who are going to get in easily. And then you're just waiting four or five, four or five days at the outside for the larger councils to find out who has won the the final vacancies. Which was this was also the case under the old system as well. It is um, tough for, for scrutineers. And actually, we we find that at this election, I found that not a lot of people were actually bothering to scrutineer the uh, the, the the council account. When I was there, there were never more than about three or four scrutineers there at a time.
0: So this is the this is the computerised counting system that's tough to scrutinise. Not necessarily the twenty percent and fifty percent interim distributions. It's just using computers makes it hard to scrutinise, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Just what if if you want to if you're sort of wanting to watch and um, and. Uh it's similar to scrutineering for the senate's elections it's quite it's quite difficult to see all the numbers before they're all entered in and uh uh different disappear off the screen uh it's different to the but i mean i can i can do samples i was i was able to do uh samples of 500 and a thousand votes so i had a I had a good idea of where the count was going um but bef- well before the uh the 20 percent count went up um but most people can't do that um so it's Slightly different to the Senate system because the Senate system uses scanning with, with uh, um, character recognition and then human operators confirm that. But this system, it's just all humans typing in what they see and then another human does the same thing.
0: Which is what the Senate used until 2013. Like they only, the Senate counting only moved to um, scanning of, of optical character recognition um, when Senate reform came in. So, so I mean, it sounds like Tass- Tassie councils have kind of caught up with what was kind of best practice for computerised counting, you know, for mainland upper houses maybe 10 years ago. But, you know, there is that challenge. It does make it much less transparent. And, I mean, that was a big thing when when I testified before a committee of New South Wales Parliament and the politicians had a good sense of, yeah, there is there is problems with scrutineering and transparency. And there were other su- suggestions as well about how to resolve it, like having... Um, Having samples of votes that uh, you can you can pull a batch out and you can compare the the physical papers to the data that's in the computer as a as a kind of audit mechanism and things like that. But one of the suggestions that we thought would help was having this kind of interim count. So it is interesting that Tasmania does that, and it would be cool if we saw that um, expand to other proportional counting systems.
1: Yeah, the, the interim counts are, are um, they're, they're reasonably reliable, but we have seen. Um... There does seem to be some pattern that in some councils, the, the votes that come in, the, the votes that are counted at the end seem to behave slightly differently to the votes that are counted at first. So it might have something to do with the order they were received. Not quite, you know, I've sort of, it's hard for them to completely randomise what order they count batches in. But um, we do see sometimes, we have seen in a few councils overnight that the Greens picked up quite a lot in the final count, that that changed some of the results. Okay,
0: so that's about it for this special episode of the Tally Room Podcast. Thank you to Kevin for joining me.
1: Thank
0: you. Uh, So I will link to Kevin's very informative and very detailed live blog where he's been covering both Hobart and the other councils around the state if you are interested in reading more about this council election. Um, But that's about it for today. You can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow The Tally Room on Twitter at The Tally Room or like us on Facebook. Information about this podcast is available at www.tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to thetallyroom@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks to Chris Bro for writing the music you hear in this episode and once again, thanks for listening.